0: Hey, Rockheads. It's that time of year again to come up with a good excuse to join me and Richard at NDC London. Fortunately, all you have to do is tell your boss the truth. You want to learn about the latest technology and hobnob with the likes of Scott Hanselman, Lily Dart, Eric Meyer, Scott Allen, John Skeet, Jesse Sternschuss, Troy Hunt, Damian Edwards, and many more. NDC London 2016 is a full-week event with pre-conference workshops on January 11th and 12th, and the actual conference on January 13th through the 15th. So go to ndc-london.com right now, and we'll see you there.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1214, with guest Scott Nimrod. Recorded Wednesday, October 7th, 2015.
0: Guess what? It's time for .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And, uh, man, we're getting prepared to do some world traveling.
1: Oh, yeah. The the deal is on. Uh, Azure Tour is happening. Stockholm in November. Yep. Tel Aviv and Paris in uh, December. And um, Frankfurt and Budapest in February. Yes. Going to be awesome. It's going to be good, good fun. And I have some great news.
0: What? Oh, yeah. You were talking about Ebola, Ebolic news. What's
1: yeah. That? So uh, humanitarian toolbox has been, I, I, I know I talk about it occasionally, but it's a bigger part of my life than I generally let on. And yeah. we've been engaged with the, the Paul Allen Foundation, who've been heavily focused on Ebola. And this is, I, we're recording this at the beginning of October and this show's coming out a month later. So. In By the end of September, I mean, the epidemic is still going on, but we've been down to single-digit cases mm-hmm. each week. Mm-hmm. So, below, less than 10 per week. Wow. And as of the last week of September, there were no new cases. Now, wow. Now, it, it's the first week without a new case since March of 2014. The, the math for the epidemic means that by the time this show comes out, uh, from this point when we actually recorded it, if this number of cases stays at zero for that month, that's officially the end of the epidemic after over a year and a half.
0: That's amazing. It's great news. Great, great news. What a nasty, nasty bug that is. We've learned a lot. Uh It'll never be
1: like this again, I think. I think we'll be better at it than ever before. I think we've turned a corner on Ebola
0: once and for all. That's great. Great news. Uh, Well, I guess it's time to (laughs) roll the funky music for Better Know a Framework. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, we've talked about this on the show before, but I don't think I ever actually called out the website. Maybe we have. But anyway, I'm talking about CodeCatas. Codecatas CodeCatas.org. A code kata is a term coined by Dave Thomas, co-author of the book, The Pragmatic Programmer, in a bow to the Japanese concept of kata in the martial arts. A code kata is an exercise in programming, which helps a programmer hone their skills through practice and repetition. Uncle Bob talks about them all the time. Uh, Anyone who's talking about craftsmanship, Scott probably uses katas. We'll talk to him about it. But they are just simple exercises that you can do when you have some free time, that that uh, keep you sharp and keep your skills up to date. And codekatas.org has uh, a ton of kata's that you can do. So if you're wondering, you know, what you should be writing or what you should do or what you want to learn or whatever, just go up there, pick a kata, do it, and you might get inspired and you might learn something too. Awesome dude. Yeah, I love the code kata's very cool thing. And it's really
1: fun to to take on a kata and try it in a few different languages. Just to sort of stretch yourself. Absolutely. think about them different ways. We've, we've said that over and over again in different shows where it, it
0: just changes the way you think when you tackle a problem from several different language angles. Sure thing. And I mentioned Uncle Bob. His uh, katas are up there as well. Good stuff. org. That's code K-A-T-A-S dot org who's talking to
1: us richard uh grabbed a comment off of show 1138 the one we did with jeff casimir and we talked about shepherding novice developers and you know craftsmanship was a big part and solid they were a big part of that conversation yeah and nick mo who i know we've communicated with before i went checking my email nick i don't know if you've ever gotten a mug or maybe been on the show but uh hmm. yeah your name is familiar
0: it tickles to me. your memory somewhere
1: he does you know how my memory goes yeah uh He says, uh, great show, guys. This really resonates a lot with me. I learned how to write software while working as an IT support tech. My boss, who would become my mentor, suggested I try writing software. I thought he was crazy until the first time I wrote some simple JavaScript, hit refresh, and things happened. Now I know he's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It was a new power, and I was insatiable. My mentor had a hands-off way of teaching. In other words, he'd say what he needed from me and not how to do it. After I tried and tried and bang my head against the wall, he'd help me understand how some functionality or piece of framework worked. He would give me the tool, tell me how it worked, but not necessarily how to apply it. Then I'd go back to trying and trying and banging my head against the wall until I figured it out or needed more help. It was this layering approach to information that allowed me to quickly learn as I wanted and avoid being force-fed information that wouldn't be retained." The process is prone to mistakes, but allows for it. Everything that I have ever learned in software development has come from code blowing up in my face. Every once in a while, that code would make it into production, and every employee at the company would give me the death stare. Except, of course, my mentor and colleagues. Those mistakes would become scars, and those scars would be passed on to others. Our dev shop works this way now. We bring in people who are great at support but have a desire to be an IT pro, a dev, or a DBA. Now I have my own devs and DBAs to mentor, and the layering continues. I believe that if you can't explain an idea to a person capable of understanding it, then you don't truly understand it. Mentoring others forces me to take my understanding to the next level because I have to answer questions that I thought I knew everything about. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, I'm asked a question and realize I have no idea how to explain it, and thus, I must research it, and the learning continues. Yes. Conferences like Dev intersection, hey, thanks for the call out, Nick are a great place where I can take all the skills I've learned and test them against the industry standard. Frankly, it's quite difficult to know whether the code I'm writing is as good as it could be or should be. Having an opportunity to talk to my mentor's mentor's mentor, etc source of knowledge is the holy Grail to me. Keep on rocking no oh, you know. It's an expensive way to learn like this, to to really go out and do it. And a lot of us learned it this way, so I don't want to to dog it because certainly I learned a lot this way as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Part of this is when you put code in production and it doesn't help the business, so it's costly in that sense. Right. The, also, the real question is, can you manage those scars? When are those scars actually an impediment to progress, which I think has been a really big story arc for us this whole year, don't you think? Yeah, sure has. Just started thinking in terms of, are your scars disabling you? Because this is essentially what Nick's describing, is how he went out and got scars.
0: This is a thread that's been gone through my whole career. I mean, mentoring people and talking and teaching. uh, It's about letting go of old pain. Yep. Yeah. And and moving
1: on from it. So, I mean, acknowledging it exists is the first step. But, uh, you know, in as much as I know there's movies that have said that chicks dig scars, but it's like don't uh, don't focus on them. Don't make them your asset. Don't make them your excuse for not doing something. How about yeah, that? Definitely
0: don't use them as a crutch.
1: But I do love the mentoring role and that whole dynamic, uh, the cost and challenge to it, because it does make great developers. Uh, it's not the only way, but it is certainly a functional way. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for your awesome comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of the social medias. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. Plus. If you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a
0: mug. And that brings us to our esteemed guest. Scott Nimrod is fascinated with software craftsmanship. He's been practicing software development since 2003. He's a thriving entrepreneur, software consultant, and he blogs also. He focuses on native application development and test automation. Scott was born and raised on the mean streets of Cleveland, Ohio, and currently resides in Miami Beach, Florida. His blog can be found at Bismonger.wordpress.com. Welcome, Scott, and I want to give you a particularly warm welcome because you are one of our biggest fans and uh, a very huge contributor to the online comments and the online community. So, thanks and welcome.
2: Hey, thanks, Carl. Um, yeah, I just want to, you know, just say you guys, say to you guys, thank you, right? Because I've been listening to you guys for a while, and I want to say, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, mm. and. I have to say that, be, because of your contribution or this show's contribution to the software development industry, um, <laughs> the, the the amount of money that that I command has has went up, and and you guys have a lot to do with that. I, I'm more in touch with industry issues. Industry practices than I would be just working for company X Y Z, mm. in which you're really a servant of that company and not a servant of the industry, and that's it's that's something that I that I've learned. So again, I just want to say thank you to you guys for for doing what you've been doing.
0: Well, well, thank you, Scott, and uh, you know we really appreciate you uh, bringing up the the questions and posing the the issues. Uh, because you know it's it's a community. It's not. It's certainly not us. It's our guests, and we're just facilitators of this big discussion that happens. And you know, people like you are out there commenting and 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 raising issues. That's what it's all about. So thank you. the The code katas that I mentioned. Have you been to that site? And are you a do you do you partake in the kata experience?
2: No, I, I think I think I've visited a site maybe. One time, and I spent maybe like thirty seconds on the actual uh, website mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm sure that different people you know they operate different ways and, and that's fine I, I rather this is what I've heard before mm-hmm. I, I've heard that child prodigies I'm not sure if this is true, but they they're really smart and they, they're able to integrate everything that they're interested in into a particular project. Mm. And so, with that said, I'd rather go that route. So, for example, um, there's been times where I I want to learn Spanish, right? Even before I moved down here to Miami, before I started visiting like, Latin and South America, I I was obsessed with learning Spanish, right? Because mm-hmm. you you don't realize the amount of relationships you can develop if you just – you know, learn a different language. But right. anyway, um, I attempted to change the the language on my computer and also Visual Studio, which didn't work out well. Whoa. But I believe in... that killing- commitment
0: right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I think Visual Studio is just primarily English. I, they have a language pack, but I didn't see Spanish in there. I, th- I thought I saw like German, Portuguese, a couple other languages. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is... I, I rather work on a project where I'm killing as many birds with one stone, you know, as possible mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. then allocate time to to practice something that I can't really apply towards right. anything else. And so
0: You're pragmatic not, in that way.
2: Uh I'm not sure. What 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 I would say is I ever since I, I read the book, and this is like one of my top two books. Um, number one is, uh, Microsoft Prism, uh, patterns and practices. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I-, I read that book and yeah, it- it's about a framework specifically targeting WPF and Silverlight, but I learned so much in regards to engineering software from that book. And so to relate to what you're talking about in regards to code katas, um, something that stepped up my game is, Taking the, the various, um, implementations that, that, if I could say that, that Prism has, such as, you know, the, the shell and the various regions and, um, event aggregator and, uh, a number of other, uh, different, what I, what should I say, uh, implementations that they have that, that make up their framework to write it yourself. Write, write your own, uh, IOC container. Write write your own uh shell with with the regents and everything that you you read about that particular framework that you use. Well, you will probably get a a deeper understanding if instead you're inspired by it and you build your own. And then you you have again a thorough understanding of some of the performance issues that that may occur and. And what really happens, you know, within the bowels of the framework that you're using. Right. And that has worked out for me a lot. Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends
0: at Stackify. If your app runs on Azure, or if you're considering launching an Azure soon, Stackify is the only integrated APM and error log management platform that was designed with Azure in mind. Stackify's Azure expertise can identify problems before you launch and help you know the difference between apps problems and Azure problems so you can fix issues fast. Try Stackify now for free and get the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks. When you think about craftsmanship... What uh, sort of things come to mind? Are you talking about the craftsmanship movement, the you know Uncle Bob, the solid principles? Are you just talking about the way in which you go about building software?
2: I, I consider myself a disciple of of Robert Martin. He doesn't know that, yeah. but <laughs> he does now. <laughs> he probably he probably would just me, be like, "No, I do not know this man." But um, I, yeah, I, I, I look up. You know on youtube uh i I observe several of his um presentations, and what he says just resonates with me, yeah, and I then relate what he says to some of the shops that I'm at, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, you know mm-hmm. he's right and so to to try to answer your question, I would say yes to everything i I think craftsmanship is uh a relentless pursuit. To always improving, you know, it's, I think mastery is, is relative. Ultimately, I, I, I want to do more with less time and, and, and still have quality. And it's, it's a journey. So, yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I, I think it involves a lot of things. I think with Robert Martin, he has some, uh, I don't think his views are extreme because mm-hmm. I don't know. Some of my views are extreme as well, but it completely makes sense. And for example, I, I feel as if this industry of of building software it's like the only industry where, in the majority of shops that I've been in, I'm not talking about your your, your top performing mm-hmm. organizations. I'm not talking about you know them. I'm talking about like. 99% of all the other, um, shops here. It is perfectly acceptable to, from the hip, just, just sling code and walk away as if it's, you don't need to prove that your code works. So maybe, uh, an example or analogy is you, you don't see an accountant, you know, prepare a, a financial ledger and he's just slinging values on debits and credits, but he's, but he or she isn't making sure that, you know, there's a debit for a credit and there's a credit for a debit right. and there's checks and balances. No, they have to do that. They yeah. don't use the excuse of, well, we need this financial document now. So just get it done. I I,
0: I heard Dan Appleman, an old friend of mine, say in a talk once that if chips, if CPUs were made like software was made, they wouldn't work at all. Yeah. You know? That we wouldn't we wouldn't have the kind of technology that we have. It's just like the 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 rigors are acceptable. It's acceptable in uh, in software development for development to just produce results, you know, and all that people look at is the results, the end result. Okay, it works or it doesn't work. Instead of you know, how can we build this so that it's uh, you know testable and readable and somebody else can take it over without, you know, having a, a major coronary.
2: Yeah, and and that's a major issue. I uh, I wrote maybe a couple months ago a uh, a blog post called Are You a Professional Debuggerer? Yeah. And
0: what is a professional debuggerer anyway? <laughs>
2: Okay, so uh I work in Miami and Miami's kind of different based on where I'm from, but it's a professional debugger in which at times we we all start off this way is someone that spends more time not writing code, but they spend the majority of their time debugging code that was already written, okay? And so, an example is, here's one characteristic of a professional debugger, okay? In order for them to test um, some some code that they just wrote, in order for them to test it, they have to launch the application every single time. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you do that, you're a professional debugger, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. This... It, it it doesn't again we we all start off doing this and some of us come into to shops where the application is already there and we have to maintain it and it is what it is right but we can still take steps to to build in some infrastructure where we don't have to launch the application every single time we want to prove that our latest code works
0: yeah
1: so build tests is what you're saying
2: yes yes so specifically I I can, I can take milliseconds to figure out if the business logic, I'm not talking about application logic and I'm not talking about integration. I'm talking about business logic. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, you know, I I can spend milliseconds, maybe five milliseconds to verify that that business logic works and move on. Mm -hmm. I don't have to spend five seconds or 10 seconds launching the application and then spend another 30 seconds to a couple minutes putting the application into a state where I could finally step through the debugger and then make sure that the code does what I intended.
1: Right. Actually exercising the piece of code, you're really testing, just you're testing it with the whole app and your clicks right. rather than actually writing a test.
2: Yes. So imagine if the person that is that is funding that project, that is writing the check, they they see how the professional debugger um they 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 see the workflow of the professional debugger and how much time it's taking mm. to build that software and then they take a professional developer someone where as soon as they write that that code it, it's validated and they move on and so instead of taking Uh, you know, a minute, three minutes, five minutes to put that application into a state and then go through the debugger and validate that that code is doing whatever it needs to do. Instead of taking several minutes, you take, you know, a couple milliseconds. And this is, this is a problem. And I know people are listening to this right now and they're like, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think
1: it's more important and it's less important when it works and more important when it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work a heck of a lot faster than when you do when you actually are doing what is manual testing.
2: Yeah. And and something that infuriates me is this is common. And I swear this is only in our industry. People say, well Scott, we're we're not here to write tests. We're here to deliver software. And I'm like, (laughs) that 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 doesn't fly because I guarantee that if if the client that's writing us the check sees how I'm building the software and which I, I care about his money, right? And, and I want to move on to bigger and better things, mm-hmm. right? If he sees my workflow and, and how productive I am, and then he sees your workflow and see how long it takes every single time you, up oh, the code didn't work. All right, what can I do? Several minutes later, ah, I got a little bit further, but the code still doesn't work. Let me make this one little tweak. <laughs> you just spent 15 minutes, you know, trying to get that that one piece of logic to work. And I just spent, what, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, if I had to make a couple more iterations? So that, that doesn't fly. It, and you can use other analogies as well. We're, we're, we're paid to deliver wow. lasting software. Right. And I feel that, I feel, I'm sorry for being cynical, but you know what? I wouldn't act this way if I didn't have these experiences. Sure. I, I feel as if, There's a large percentage of us that keep ourselves in business by by creating our own fires that we have to put out. Because, you know, that
1: iteration mm. looks busy. Like, to the mortal, with you repeatedly running the code and making changes, it feels busy. The, the, The big problem when you're running, like, good test suites and stuff is it's actually hard to see, for the mortal at least, how more efficient that is unless you look at the overall bracket of how long did it take you to build the feature. Although there's always an argument of when you're comparing features, well, that one was easier, that one's harder. Like, I think for average people, that run the code to test cycle is more visible to them than a good testing infrastructure.
2: Yeah. The thing is, is we should strive to be better. And- I totally agree. Yep. And,
1: and and I think you got to teach them that if you see me running the code over and over again, I'm doing something stupid.
0: You know, the part of this is just habit, right? I mean, there's a lot of developers that have these comfortable habits of software development. This is the way we've done it. It works for them, and they don't need, you know, feel any need to do anything different. But time and time again, you see these people when they're exposed to, you know, somebody who says, hey, let me show you a better way to do something, no matter what it is, you know, that they do it better. And the same thing happens in everything. I'm also a guitar player, right? And I remember the time that I I was—I used to play a G with uh, my thumb over the top of the fretboard, and then my teacher said, "Now we got to learn how to play it with uh, your uh, middle finger on the bottom string on the third fret, and then your your index finger on the second string to the bottom on the." second fret and it was hard to do at first but then it became easy and then later on in life i learned that no if you want to switch between g and c use the same fingering that you do for c and now you're just moving up and down a fret it's a lot more efficient and you could not have done that with your thumb and i couldn't have done that with my thumb but i had to start somewhere right so it's just some the matter of somebody saying hey here's a better way and and it's for your benefit to do something that will surely save you time and be more efficient for you.
2: That sounds great.
0: <laughs> that, that,
2: and 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 that's like uh, I would say c- common sense, right? Yeah. I, I've let me tell you that when when I left Cleveland, I, I worked for uh, I worked in the control systems industry. And they had some incredible developers and I was, you know, I was wet behind the ears and they taught me a lot. Right. When when I left Cleveland from being a, a typical full time employee and I moved to to uh, Florida and I, I started becoming a contractor or a consultant. I noticed things change. Right. I'm I'm. I'm getting this wealth of knowledge. I'm learning from every single shop that I visit, and I realize how dumb some of my practices are. When I go into a different environment, I'm like, "Holy crap! I didn't know I could do that." You know, <laughs> so ah. that that's great. But but what I want to mention is, based on what you said, is it's kind of a conflict of interest, where uh, based on my personal experience, a consultant gets paid a higher wage to go into a, a shop and deliver value asap
1: right faster like
2: they they have to hit the ground running right and so i'm like okay that's what i'm about you know mm-hmm. that's that's what i enjoy what what i've noticed from my personal experience is it becomes a conflict of interest because i am a stranger i am an outsider yep and and I think software shops are like prisons, right? You, you have the alpha male. He has the large, he has like the, the loudest bark at, yep. at meetings. And when an outsider comes in and, and recommends, uh, perhaps a more effective way of doing something. I think that there is a chance that that outsider or that consultant, I even heard the term on your show. Insultant, I thought. Yeah, um, I think we would use that line. That might
0: have been our show. I <laughs> yeah. consultant
1: was a synthesis of con game and insult. Uh. <laughs>
2: Whatever it is, there, I feel as if there's potential that they're viewed as a threat instead of viewed sure. as help, and that I've, I've had a couple experiences like that. So, to make a long story short, you can make people aware of perhaps a better way of of. Completing an objective, but they may, they may feel more threatened about their job and them being exposed, their practices being exposed. And it, I don't know. It, sometimes it, it's a recipe for disappointment, especially when you have to constrain yourself to, to work to their process instead of delivering the best value that you can deliver based on your experience. And and your experience being all the mistakes that you've made.
1: Well, I think we all have this, uh, and Hanselman talks about this a lot, this uh, I'm a phony syndrome where you you just don't believe, you know, there's always got to be a better way. Sooner or later, they're going to catch on. And so it's very easy to get defensive about that when somebody's coming in from the outside as the supposed expert. What are they going to do except criticize you? And, uh, you know, that's, it's sort of a, a very natural reflex. I think it's part of the art form of being an effective consultant to, to get to those people and say, Hey, look, I'm here to make everything better for you to be better, not wrong. You know, there's not going to be any scapegoats here. It's going to be getting results one way or the other. Sure thing. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Ah, it must be that happy time again.
0: Yeah. It's time to quote the immortal Yogi Berra, who said, it ain't over till you got 100% code coverage. (laughs) (laughs) At least I think it was Yogi Berra that said that. Maybe it wasn't. And I don't think he's all that immortal. I think he's kind of dead. Well, he lives on in our spirits, doesn't he? That's true. She just passed recently uh, in September of 2015. Yeah. We will be missed. It's actually time to give away a experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries, and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today, and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard— Dev Express Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com/superhero. Awesome, dude! Who's our winner? Today's winner is Bruce Libby. Hi, congratulations, Bruce! Yeah, i'll clap for you, sir. Member of the fan club, Bruce Libby, just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from Developer Express. And hey, if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a technology shopping spree valued at $5,000. It's coming up. It's your turn, Scott. What are you
2: gonna buy with five grand? Yeah, I've been thinking about this for I'm like sure you a have. week. <laughs> 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 and my understanding is it has to be technology related. Well, and you know,
1: get pressed against it if there's a problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm like five thousand dollars. Now, at first. Based on uh, yesterday, was it yesterday's announcement with um, Microsoft? The Hololens yes. SDK is three thousand mm-hmm. dollars.
1: Yeah, Hololens.
2: So, yeah, right. the thing is, is I'm not a game developer. I I got through like the first three or four chapters of a Unity 3D book, but um, I'm not sure if I ha- I have to know that I could write typical business applications using Hololens.
1: Did you start filling in the form where they ask you about your 3D experience and stuff? I love that.
2: Yeah. So, I, I, I thought about that, right? Then I thought about, well, I'm getting into Xamarin. So, I think their 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 Xamarin University is like $2,000 to get a certification. Um, and I've been holding off on iOS. But you know what? Like this stuff is here today. It's going to be gone tomorrow. I've yeah. always said that I'd rather spend my money on experiences. I, I'll keep that till I die. Right? Hey, that's
0: very smart. That's right. Yeah. And, you so, know, most of the people in my family have also resigned themselves to no more stuff, just have a good experience.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. I think, I didn't research how much it would cost, but, um, what's his name? Steve Hawkin, Who's a really smart Stephen Hawking, British, British or whatever he's from, guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he uh, he had an opportunity to experience uh, what's it called zero gravity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, on a plane. I'm not sure how much that costs, but I'll probably just throw all the money on that. And you just want to ride in the
0: down vomit down comet?
2: Down. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah that's better. Yeah, they,
0: you're about
1: right. They, there's a company called Zero Gravity Corporation. I think it's about seven grand for a ride. Wow. Uh, I, I looked it up. Here it is. Forty nine fifty plus five percent tax. Look so at that's right about 5 you're right grand. on the ball. There we go. You I'll... too can be nauseated.
2: <laughs> so I, I think I would. I mean, I, I would just buy that. It's, I love it. Sure no, I, that's sure a great idea. What a great experience. That's it.
1: But they, everybody gets nauseated, man. Just so you know.
2: Oh, man up, <laughs> man up. <laughs>
0: So, Scott, you've obviously got a lot of experience working with clients and seen a lot of things and uh, have some opinions about that. Do you have any stories about, um, you know, situations that didn't go as expected?
2: Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, that's – I don't know. I I think some of my comments on, on your site probably come off cynical. But
1: what's the difference between cynicism and wisdom? Yeah, right. It depends <laughs> on who's
2: saying it. Yeah. But, <laughs> so here here's the thing. Um and I really believe this, is I I I, I don't write code just for my nine to five um if there there's a movie called Apollo Creed that's coming out and I can't wait to see it or I think it's called Creed but um the reason why I mention it is because you know you look at these boxers and some people say you know they're fighting in the ring but they're really they're fighting for life you know and mm-hmm. i look at software development as my mill ticket out of the the lifestyle that i that i came from mm. and so i take things really seriously and on my journey I have realized that the the more I learn, the more I demonstrate, the more i 'm worth all right and yeah. when I demonstrate that, that also includes me sharing it with others yep. and so i I guess I do have this obsession with always trying to improve the way I do things and i've i 've learned uh w- working as a consultant. That I think basic human behavior is not everybody has the same belief system that you have. Not everybody wants to be the top notch developer in the state of Florida or it, they, some people don't care about that. Some people, they have lives. They, they have families. They have kids. They, they belong to some, some other hobbyist group. And it's not all that serious. Their their job is simply their job. And that's something that I need to remind myself that...
1: Not everybody lives to work. Some people just work to live. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. To me, I feel like I have the best of both worlds because I I look at my work as me expressing myself in the way that I could create, I could create like these virtual workers through my code and watch them like just do incredible things. But I would say that to answer your question... I've learned that people aren't really interested in what they can do better. Not not everybody. Some people they just want to be left alone so that they can do whatever they do, and it's kind of hard because I think that at least for me, my belief is that we depend on one another. Yeah. And as a result, something that I've I faced a couple times, and and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. Um, but there's been times where I felt as if the shop that I was at, because they weren't necessarily interested in, in learning about what I think might be uh, a better technique to solve their problems, and just because I think it doesn't mean it's true, right? Right, but they weren't right, even, right. They're not even interested. There's been times where I felt as if I've been constrained not to work to the best of my ability, but to the ability of people that don't really care as much. And as a result, they, they, they don't have this, this arsenal of options to, to choose from to deliver their best work. And experiencing that is is humiliating to someone that's really passionate. And so that's what I faced a couple of times.
1: Yeah, I think you also have to just value the differences too, right? Different people work in different degrees and you still have to move the ball forward. Just we can't necessarily presume everyone wants to try everything new, but uh, we do have to bring standards to the work that we do. It's like I I get that this isn't your primary focus. So you're not going to adopt it because it's fun, but we're going to do it this way now.
0: Scott, I mean, are there any specific stories? I mean, I don't want you to name names or anything, but uh, any, any particular stories that you want to talk about that stand out as being interesting or, or noteworthy? Okay. Well, sure. Or just, you know, <laughs> some way to some way to
2: boost our ratings. <laughs> All right. So, I uh, I I joined the uh, I joined a telecom company down here in South Florida uh as a contractor and they I I was sold On this company, they, they were, they were talking to satellites and they were doing some incredible things. Yeah. And it's a very fast paced environment. And these are, you know, top notch. I'm like, yo, I'm about to learn so much. Oh, this is going to increase my worth. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, and and I got there and it, it wasn't what I, what I thought the, they, they were doing some, they were building some, Complex applications, right? Mm-hmm. And the, that post that I wrote about professional debuggerers that stemmed from my, or that resulted from my frustration with that company. I see. In which they they were they they had this they had this architecture. They were a perfect example of people that were proficient in the C sharp language, yeah. and they had a thorough understanding of design patterns. Mm-hmm. but they weren't professional developers right they 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 were just they they would have several people in the same file that had a view model and they're all mod- making changes to this one file and then mm. wondering why you know there there's compilation errors and all these other issues with it they 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 didn't have any unit tests in place mm. right which okay whatever they did have unit tests. Well, no, they didn't. They, they, they had a unit test project okay. and they had like 300 something tests. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I looked inside of the tests and they didn't have any asserts. And, and some of their, their tests were completely empty, but they showed up as green check marks when, when you, it. and that's like, a <laughs> well, they always test. pass
1: because they don't do anything. Right.
2: They had nothing in there. Some of their tests, uh, I was wrong. some of their tests did have asserts. They asserted that an object was instantiated. And so what happened? Um, I received my assignment, and I was working with a, a, a group of I want to say I was working with a group of four people. Mm-hmm. and they the project only needed or required maybe two, but I'm like, all right, cool. Starting from a a, a fresh slate, greenfield, while they were they were they they were a waterfall shop, and so they spent a lot of time drawing pictures on a whiteboard mm-hmm. and and trying to prophesy all the different objects that they were going to need, or yep. all the different classes that they were going to need to to build this solution. Sounds very waterfall. I, I held back my tongue and I'm like, okay. So while they were doing that, I was just doing TDD, right? Test driven development design. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, because it was a small project within, within three weeks, I had 90% of that project done. Mm. The, the, the rest of the 10% was actually connecting, um, the, the business logic to, to the firmware. Right. And so I had stubbed all that out. I had like, 91, 92% code coverage. And I had just, I knocked it out. I did what I was hired to do, right? Yeah. right. Perform. And um, what happened was they they realized that by the time they wrapped up with their big upfront design that I had, you know, a thoroughly tested, at least on the business logic solution. I had already wired up the, the, the UI to it with WPF and they said okay um all right we'll work with this then and then so they made, they they started making adjustments which is fine right yeah.
0: what
2: what i didn't like is remember i said i had like i was proud of my my code coverage right i had probably 50 or 60 unit tests for the small project yeah. and i was proud of my code coverage and they were going into the code and they were checking in their their updates but they weren't running my tests, and so they were checking in. Um, they were checking in solutions with with failed tests, and so I sent out an email and I praised everybody for them making the code base better, um, whatever. And then I said, "Oh, by the way, we it's it's important that we make sure that these tests pass." Um, and the reason why these tests are important is because it's going to save us a lot of time and effort and the whole story about why unit tests are good. And I sent out that email and at the, the next daily standup, the the team lead told our team to disregard my email and continue business as usual. Mm. And so that I didn't agree with that. You know, it sounds
0: more like a, just a sort of stubborn cultural problem more than it does a technological issue. And I think that's what you're, you're, you're getting at here is that, you know, yeah, if people just use common sense and want to do things the best way possible, that sounds like a rosy, wonderful thing, but that's not the way people are.
2: Yeah. So here's the thing is I've, I've got myself in trouble just trying to crank out code and deliver it.
0: Oh, I can tell you're a troublemaker, Scott.) <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty I, I,
0: obvious by now.:
2: <laughs> well, well what I want to say is I've, I've got in trouble where where I just focus on delivering and, and then issues come up, anomalies come up, and I end up spending so much time trying to figure out, okay, is, is this a business logic? issue mm. or is this an integration issue? And yeah. the beautiful thing about unit tests and, and having a thorough amount of, if I can even say that, code coverage is that you you can you can better identify if there's an integration issue. But if, if you don't have any type of code coverage in there, you're going to be spending a lot of time trying to figure out what went wrong. And I'm sorry, I'm not interested in pain. Okay. I'm not. And I use, I, <laughs> I use test coverage to guide me into where I'm at in regards to my progress. And so I need that. It's kind of my rails. It's as long as I know that my tests are passing, I could, I could continue being productive. And Mm -hmm. so when they, when they removed that from me, I felt like, well, I'm not sure how to move forward because my tests now fail and I don't know what really is working and what's not. Mm. And I'm really not interested in being a manual tester when I'm hired as a professional d- developer. Right. Sure. And so I don't want to spend all my time trying to run regression when, when I could get quick feedback and keep pushing forward because they hired me to deliver value as soon as possible. Well, and you
0: obviously changed companies because you couldn't change the company, right?
2: Uh, yeah. Some people say that I've, that um, there's some maturity issues that, I need to deal with but well I'm not sure I'm not sure I wouldn't
0: have responded the same way I mean that's 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 pretty horrendous if you ask me
2: well my thought process is this I I can work for a company right but I'm a servant to my industry and I I really do care about continuous improvement and it's not lip service that's what I strive for and if I feel as if I'm going backwards in my career, then I want to I take ownership of, of my career. Mm. And so I'm mm. going to do what I feel is necessary. Fair enough.
1: Any particular tools you use for the test automation side of that? Are you just writing the code and running it, or is there more to it than that?
2: Uh, I use whatever Microsoft or, should I say, Visual Studio provides. Sure. And I didn't realize how spoiled I am with Visual Studio. Yeah until I attempted to pick up Android development using Android Studio. And, and <laughs> I realized that, um, and I'm sure some people are going to correct me, but... I, I didn't see unit testing as a first-class citizen in mm. Android Studio, and mm. that kind of turned me off, whereas in Visual Studio, things just work. Now, there, there's a there's a couple of things. Like, I really miss the exclude from code coverage attribute that you can apply towards, uh, especially if you're doing MVVM, you can apply towards your properties so that they don't show up in your code coverage metrics. Mm. But uh in regards to, like, outside tools... No, but something that I do like a lot, and I kind of got roasted at the xamarin user group uh presentation I gave about a month ago is Robert martin had uh he provided a couple of videos on what he calls clean architecture mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. i don't like that name yeah i'd rather I'd rather call it uh user story composed applications okay. and so in, in regards to your question about tools, uh, I experimented, and I ported it over a, a Windows Store app that I wrote when Windows 8 had first came out, actually before it came out to the public. And, you know, I had these uh, view model folder and a whole bunch of view models, views folder, a whole bunch of views. This is a, a Windows Store app. I ported that over to Xamarin Forms, and I decided to experiment or practice his idea of clean architecture. So meaning that for for every user story I created a project for it. So mm. for example, um view menu or or uh view settings or well, let me pull up a solution to give you guys some more concrete. Yeah, I think I think I get it though. Yeah, create quote, search customers for for every user story. I created, I created a project for it. And something that I realized is in regards to tooling that you mentioned earlier, I think, uh, Visual Studio's code map complements this type of architecture very well. Mm -hmm. Now I can, I can take these specific user stories that I created into individual projects pull up, code map, and I can see exactly what e- each user story depends on. Right. And and I can make decisions on what it should not depend on. And it just provides more clarity um, when when implementing that type of architecture. Sure,
0: and a lot more isolation too.
2: Yeah, there's... People raise concerns at the user group about uh, diminishing returns, and, and I agree with them. The, the way Visual Studio is, is running... The more projects you have, the longer it takes to get loaded. And also, the more test projects you have, obviously, the longer it takes for your unit test to actually complete. Well, you know, you
0: drink the right scotch. It doesn't take any time at all to get loaded.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I actually thought that was funny. (laughs) That's my job, Scott. That's my job. (laughs) <laughs> but in regards to other tools, um, no, I honestly, I don't even, I remember I was really big on, uh, what was it? Rational Rose, and yeah. with Microsoft, it's, it's Visio. And I don't, I only use those tools if I need to document, you know, a system for other people to, to, to learn or be aware of. Right. Besides that, I, I think UML is dead. Yeah, I'm uh, that's pretty sure my, you're
0: right.
1: I don't know that it was ever alive. Yeah.
2: Well, in college, they, they, they make you believe it's alive. Uh, well, that was back in the day.
1: College makes you believe all kinds of crazy things. Yeah,
0: I tend to agree with Richard. Yeah. You ask your uh, software teacher why they're not writing software. Yeah. Anyway, Scott, we're just about out of time. Is there any last thing that you want to... Shout out or any resources or anything else you want to talk about, real quick.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to two books that have really inspired my career that I think everybody should read. Everybody, right? Okay. It's um one of them I already mentioned, right? It's the it's the it's the ah, the Prism book, Microsoft Patterns and Practices Prism. Mm-hmm. The other one is x unit test patterns, and that one changed also changed the way that that I write code. And um, you, you don't have to be huge into test automation or anything like that, and you don't have to be huge into Zamo technologies. It, I, I think these books have really influenced the the way that I I think about writing code, and I think everybody should be aware of it. And, I mean, you know, I'm not getting paid to say that. I'm saying it because I, I, I think it's going to help out the industry. Great. Scott, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, Carl. All right, all right Richard. Thanks a lot. All right. And we'll see you next time
0: on .NET Rocks.